Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. We've talked a little bit about finding your niche as a copywriter because finding the right niche for your skills can help you bring in more moolah because you become the go-to writer who gets the ins and outs of a particular industry. Today, we're going to dig into SaaS, software as a service, and our fellow copywriter sharing her specialist knowledge on this is Kaylee Moore. Now, my name is Belinda Weaver. I'm a copywriter. My business is Copyright Matters, and I have the Copywriting Masterclass, helping copywriters of all levels master their skills. I am, of course, flying solo today. No Kate, but we have Kaylee here. So I'm going to start, Kaylee, by reading out your bio. Kaylee Moore is a copywriter whose specialty is writing value-packed blog content for SaaS and e-commerce companies. She lives in the Midwest and started a freelance writing under her own name back in 2013. Kaylee has worked with growing startups and top 10 companies in the Fortune Fund Fortune 500, as well as growing SaaS companies, including AT&T, Campaign Monitor, and Get Feedback. She writes a regular column for Inc. Magazine and has been featured in Entrepreneur, On Copy Hackers, Kids, Metrics, and Conversion XL. That is a hell of a bio, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be very jealous. Thank you very much for joining me today. Yes, thank you again. I, you and I have been talking about this for a long time, so I've I've really been wanting to come on this podcast and speak with you for a long time. So I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad we finally got you on. Now, I want to start. We usually start when we're talking about like a niche area, or and um, we've got a bit of jargon. Let's explain what it is. So, software as a service—that's what the acronym means. But can you tell us a little more about the kind of companies you work with, apart from the ones in your bio, of course. Of course. Yeah. So the people I work with are people you're probably familiar with. Software as a service is just, like you said, the technical term. So basically it's it's companies who have software that you subscribe to on a month-to-month basis or on an annual basis. And in my case, it's often people who have companies for email marketing software, um, like the MailChimps of the world. That's a software as a service. Um, other examples would be things like accounting software. So bench accounting is one. Um, another one would be people like FreshBooks or basically any cloud-based accounting software. That's another software as a service. The other big category of software as a service that I work with is e-commerce platforms. So places like Shopify, Big Commerce, Etsy is also an e-commerce platform. Um, that's another form of software that people subscribe to and pay on a month-to-month basis for. And all of those companies have a lot in common, and all of them are trying to educate customers, educate the people who subscribe to their services, and in writing blog content for them, that's essentially what I'm helping them do is get more customers. Awesome. And I want to dig into the specifics of writing copy for these kinds of organizations as opposed to other types of copywriting. But first, I want to set a bit of context for our conversation. Let's talk about you. So how did you get into this niche and how did you know this is something you want to, wanted to specialize in? It's actually kind of a funny story. I fell into this niche about four and a half years ago through a Twitter I, through a Twitter conversation that I had, um, just kind of randomly. So the story goes, I had an e-commerce business at the time. I was selling jewelry through Etsy and just happened to connect with someone who said they liked one of my products on Twitter. And she was working at a software company at the time. 
Um, she and I started a conversation through Twitter and eventually we got to the point in the conversation where she told me what she did. And I told her that I was looking to get into some writing work. Um, she was the blog manager. So it was just kind of a serendipitous thing. Um, she ended up hiring me as her, as a writer for the blog at the software company she worked for. And from that point on, I started getting a lot of referrals and a lot of recommendations from her and from other people who were happy with the work that I was doing. And it all happened to be within this niche. So I was very lucky to kind of have that um, conversation just crop up on Twitter. But I will say that I've had that happen many more times since then. And I found Twitter to be a really effective tool for connecting with blog managers, people at publications, um, marketers you want to hire you. It's been a great tool for building my business. Yeah, I remember reading an article you wrote for Copy Hackers that was all about how to get work with the people you want to work with and starting with conversations on Twitter. And it was all about building relationships before you kind of try to push your way into the door. So, you know, I would just backtrack a little there. I would not say you were lucky. I would say that an opportunity came along and you were open to it and you took advantage of it because I kind of get a bit riled up when people go, oh, you're so lucky. You got this opportunity that I don't ever get. And it's like, no, 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 we've all got these opportunities, but we've got to be open to them and we've got to jump on them and take advantage of them. So well done for doing that. Did you, did you ever feel like you started getting a few of these kind of writing jobs? Did you ever worry that you might be closing out more work by specializing? Because I think that's a common worry people have about specializing. You're so right. Yes, absolutely. I was absolutely terrified that by saying that I only work with this very specific group of customers that I was closing out other opportunities. And in a lot of instances, I was. I had to say no a lot of times to um, writing opportunities, to jobs, to relationships um, that would pop up because they weren't a good fit. And I really knew that I wanted to focus on this particular industry. This is where my subject matter expertise was. This is, you know, really where I had the knowledge base. And unless I wanted to be learning from scratch every single time, I knew that I had to say no and really stick with this. So that's, that's what I've done. And yes, it was very scary though. I will say that you're very right. How about that first job? Because you didn't have necessarily an experience in the field. So was that first job where you just went, I'm going to figure this out? Absolutely. And it was totally a case of, I guess I'm going to learn this now. Um, I knew nothing about it, but I was, like you said, I was very open to the opportunity. I was willing to learn. And luckily the person I was working with was happy to kind of hold my hand through the initial blog post and, and really helped me get onboarded and up to speed with what she expected, what she needed, what she wanted. And so that learning experience helped improve future blog posts and future writing work that I did for other clients as well. So yes, it was very much a, a matter of being open to opening, being open to learn and then working really hard to deliver the best possible product. Sounds like a dream client actually. <laughs> it, it was for sure. And she and I are still very close as well. Awesome. That's always nice. That's always nice. So you you hinted when we, we, in that first kind of, you know, what is SaaS, but let's dig into kind of how SaaS and e-commerce copywriting might be different to other types of copywriting. Cause a lot of our listeners are generalists. I'm a generalist. And I think I, like, I always think that, um, you know, when you have copywriting skills really solid at your foundation, then you can turn them to different types of industries. But what, what are SaaS and e-commerce companies looking for in their copywriting? 
So I think in this niche, there's a lot of technical expertise that's needed for really high quality content. And a lot of that just comes in the form of understanding the format of how posts need to look and sound, um, understanding the objectives that these types of companies are trying to achieve. So typically that's things like converting new customers and educating their existing customers and getting them to take a specific action to the next step of the product or something like that. Um, And like I said, that can get fairly technical. Um, I would say that a lot of the work that I do is not necessarily conversion oriented, but it's very much about understanding this unique audience and um, just really being able to speak to them in a way that's effective and helps these companies accomplish what they're trying to do. Do you find, uh, with especially with blog writing, you're writing for um, clients quite early in their stages of awareness? I think so. It really can be all over the board, but um, the companies who do a really good job are the ones who have content for people at all stages of the journey. So people who are just coming on board, people who are really experienced and know a lot about the product already. So for me, that means really knowing the company and what they offer inside and out. And that can be a little difficult sometimes. But the good thing is that most of the time I'm working on a long-term basis with these companies. So I have the opportunity to really take a deep dive, to really kind of be a sponge and soak up all the um, knowledge they have about their company and their product. And so it works out for both of us. That's awesome. And I've, I've got two questions here. The first one is when you when you start writing for a company, do they know what they want in terms of, okay, this is the client. They're at this stage of the journey. We need them to be at this stage of the journey and we need content that does this. Or is that something that you pitch to them as well? It's actually a lot less common than I thought it would be. Um, A lot of these companies that I work with, some of them are venture capital funded, uh, and they're just now getting around to figuring out uh, their customer personas and things like that. So it is something that I always encourage them to create right off the bat because it's really helpful to me. It helps make their content more effective, but um, it's, it's a lot less common than I thought it would be. I'm actually, I'm really surprised at this. Um, the companies I've been working with for a long time now are getting to a point where they have these beautiful content guides and just robust customer personas and things like that. But a lot of the beginner stage companies who are just now coming on board, a lot of the time they kind of brush that off. It's not that important. And so I have to take the time to kind of educate them on why it is important, what it helps accomplish and all those things. And while I don't always help them assemble those types of documents or create the customer personas myself, um, there's something I work really closely with once they do create them down the road. That's awesome. And I guess that's a real value add. Um, You know, anyway, a copywriter can prove to be more valuable than just the writing is is a win because it's demonstrating skills and expertise beyond the writing process. So even if they don't have it ready or they don't get you to do it, I think it's really important to be able to educate clients on how to give you the best work experience as well. Right. And that's, it's great for me too, because it's an opportunity for me to refer them to somebody who does that really well. And usually that's through somebody I know who, you know, who already does that type of work and really specializes in building those out and doing a good job of, you know, conducting customer research and things like that. So again, it's a win-win. It's, it's a referral for me to hand out to somebody and it helps the company too. And then it helps me. Yeah, absolutely. So listeners, you know, building your network, not only of maybe writers um, in other niches, but also connecting resources that you can build and refer to 
to your clients is always a good idea, always a good idea. So the other question I had was about getting those crunchy details. Like you go into a company, um, they haven't got this beautiful document to help you. You obviously have a lot of technical information you need to get to grips with. Can you, can you give us a little preview of your brief? How do you get the details out of them? So typically it's a phone conversation because it it can be a really lengthy process over email. Um, But if we can get on the phone and schedule, you know, a 20 minute call, I can find out all the things that I need to know, even if they don't have it documented. Um, Those are the things like who's your target audience and, you know, what are your objectives for the content you're hiring me to create? And who do you want your content to sound like? Do you have any examples of blogs who you really admire or you like the tone or you like the writing style, things like that? And so, I have a series of questions that I roll through with a new client, and this is really just part of the discovery process for me. Even though it's it's a little bit more work on my end to hop on that call and to kind of manually do this data collection and, and to build out my own sort of you know content style guide, I guess you would call it, um, it's, it's really helpful because it takes the guesswork out of it for me. And if I were to just wing it and to try to guess at all those questions on my own, I would spend a lot more time editing. And, and that's just not a good use of my time. So I found that this Absolutely. process is really helpful. Kate and I are always banging on about how important a good brief is. And I find the, the more you rush through a brief um, or the more you leave it to a client, to write down the answers for you, the more time you will spend in revisions. And, you know, one thing I always point out that people hire us to write words because they're not very good at it. Um, So expecting them to give you a beautifully written brief is almost um, counterproductive. So I find jumping on the phone absolutely crucial. And I find, especially when you're working with smaller businesses, if you're working directly with the owner, you get to hear their voice and their passion because often when it's just one person, the business and the person, they're one and the same. So it can really help. It's really worth your time, but to get on the phone. Um, But how about the technical details? How do you get those? So the technical details, if it's, if it's something like a how-to process, for example, where it's very specific, what they want me to walk through, typically I'll just, I'll just have them walk me through it and then I'll translate it. So it sounds more conversational and educational in tone and um, just kind of put the writer finesse on it. Because typically the way uh, somebody at a company will explain something to you is a lot more jargony and less generally appealing to read than the way you can format it in a different tone and in a different kind of setup. So that it's really just a matter of translating almost and taking those technical things and making them sound simpler and easier to understand. Absolutely. And I was going to ask you about jargon because this is definitely the kind of industry I, um, many years ago, was a uh, computer programmer. So I've been banging around the Mm. IT industry for about 10 years and it's full of jargon. Um, Is this a challenge? Do you ever get kickback from clients around getting rid of the jargon to break it down into simpler or are they totally on board? Most of the time they're pretty on board. Um, I would say that for the companies who are speaking to advanced users, they are okay with the jargon because it's it's the language that they use. It's very natural for that community to use things like acronyms and technical words. Mm. Um, but if I'm writing for an audience that's new to the product or that's just becoming familiar with what it is that they're offering, most of the time we're on the same page about keeping things really simple, really easy to understand and making the product unintimidating so that it's easy for them and it's it's not really a barrier to entry. 
Oh, that's good. What a relief yes. because yeah. having those awkward conversations as, you know, business speak and jargon find their way back into the revisions can be tedious and awkward. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, so is there any type of time for fun and personality in this kind of copy or or is it just a lot more serious? Most of the time it's pretty serious. It really depends on the brand. Um, some of the software companies I work with are really um, focused on having a lot of personality and conversational tone in the writing. And that's very fun for me to write. I really enjoy mm. doing that type of work. But I will say that most of the time um, for this industry, it's it's a little bit more formal. Um, and so while I would love for there to be more room for personality, I just don't see a lot of software companies these days really going all in on it. Um, but maybe that'll change in the future. That's not to say it'll never happen. Yeah, well, I can see that, you know, if you're trying to tell um, someone in the business world that they're going to save time, save, save money, boost profits, all those kind of efficiency arguments that you so often see in SaaS copy, then they're not necessarily going to want to sound like MailChimp at the same time. They, they are fairly, MailChimp is fairly unique in, in that kind of way. Um but that leads into some nice questions we got uh, from our. We got a lot of questions from our listeners, but I'm going. I pulled out a couple from Matt Fenwick because I think they they dovetail nicely into what we're talking about. And when products are really technical, how do you strike the right balance between the detail and the message without, like you know, super detailed or super fluffy? How do you balance that as a SaaS copywriter? So for me, a lot of that pivots on rhetorical questions. And the reason I do that is because it puts you and the reader on the same page. And so a lot of the time, it's just a matter of posing a question that the reader probably has thought about before and then answering that in whatever you write next. So I have really struggled with this for a long time because... Like you, like you said, it can be really, really technical and, and that's not fun to read. So I found that this approach of posing the question, answering it, and really just kind of trying to assume that conversational tone, that's a nice way to strike a good balance between both worlds. So you're being educational, but you're also, it also kind of sounds like a friend is walking you through how to do something. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what we, we often say when we had Vicki Ross on the show, she said, all copywriting is a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to think about some, what would someone normally say if they were telling you about this thing? And sometimes they're trying to persuade you about this thing. And, and obviously in this context, they're going to educate you about this thing. And what about, um, what about the abstract benefits? Like I talked to, you know, throughout saving time, saving money, boosting profits, all that kind of efficiency. These are kind of abstract benefits. Are, are they enough to be persuasive in the world of SaaS copywriting and e-commerce or do you have to get a bit grittier? I think a lot of time it honestly comes down to price point because right now the software landscape is really competitive and there are a lot of companies who offer very similar products. So um, I think I think price is a huge differentiator, which is not necessarily copy related at all. Um, I think customer experience is a huge differentiator. So there are a lot of things happening in this particular industry that are outside the world of copy. And so if I had to think about what are the what are the copy things that I can do to help them kind of accomplish that goal and to talk about the features and benefits? Um, I think simplicity is the, is the big key here because, like I said, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of competition. The one the ones I see do really well, and the companies that I see succeed are the ones who keep it simple, who 
don't try to be really fluffy and have a lot of language. They keep everything really clean, really simple and polished, and it helps the message get through and it helps it stick. Is that when you say keeping it simple, is that about having a benefit that is really simple and 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 meaningful rather than trying to roll out too many benefits. Like I'm, I'm kind of doing a hierarchy hand gesture, like getting that benefit that's really, really top level and just saying, this is it. Is that what you mean? I kind of mean, I think that there are a lot of features when it comes to software and it can get really muddy trying to point out all of them. I think people really just want the, the major benefits. How is it going to solve their problems? How is it going to make their life easier? And then you can get into those high level features and um, kind of special next tier benefits and, and features and nice things later in the conversation. Mm. So maybe that comes up in a blog post or a follow-up email or an onboarding sequence, things like that. So with, this, with the content for this kind of audience, that needs to be planned out in that journey really so that you're not throwing a whole lot of detail at customers who just aren't ready for it. Yes, because it's just, it's information overload and then they tune you out completely. Absolutely. And when you're getting the brief and and working through all the details, do you you ever get, do you talking to the technical experts for the software? Sometimes. And I really enjoy that because it helps me get a perspective that I don't get any other way. Um, they have a lot of, they're often a lot of um, existing walkthroughs and high level overviews of products and services and things like that. But when you talk to somebody who's really hands-on with the product, that gives you a whole other layer that you can then pull from and incorporate into the writing. And I, not only not only that aspect, but also talking to customer support as well. I love when I can do that as well. Um, because again, that's it's another layer. It's another um, whole element of the company that you can integrate into whatever it is that you're writing. Yeah, I imagine. I was just thinking of customer service actually because they're the ones um, dealing with the troubleshooting and the complaints and the difficulties and the awesomeness and all that kind of stuff. So they'd have a, a lot more of a customer-facing view on what the hell's going on. Yes, absolutely. So what do you think, what do you love about working with SaaS companies and what do you, what are the cons? Pros and cons. The pros are it's very fast paced. Um, There's a lot going on. There's a lot to learn. Um, The people are great. They're very smart. A lot of the people who are hired by these companies are young and they're smart and they're just ready to go full steam ahead. So I love that. I love the passion. I love the excitement. Um, The downsides are it's, I mean, it's hard when you're a company that's just starting out. There's so much on your plate on the marketer side of things that I feel that sometimes I wish I could do more to help the people that I work with because they're mm. so overwhelmed. There's so much on their plate, yeah. um, but that there's only so many hours in a day for me as well. So um, I, I find myself having to be really focused on the one thing that I do, the blog post writing and really saying, hey, I'm not an expert at these other things, but you might need help with it. Here's a good person who can help you with X, Y, and Z. Do you ever um, find that you're brought on too early. I mean, I love that these companies are going, hey, we're just in startup mode, but we know we need content. Um, That's awesome. But do you ever find you're like, hey, you're not really ready for me. You need to nail your messaging down. You need to nail your market down. Is there such a thing as too early? 
I think so. Hmm. And I, I know that that content is huge. I know that it's a big part of SEO and all these other important things that everybody tells you you should be doing when you're starting a company. But yes, absolutely. If you don't have your messaging nailed down, if you're not exactly sure who the target customer is, it's too soon. And it's, yeah. it's going to be a poor investment in blog content if you can't answer those few high level questions and, and really point the person you're freelancing who's freelancing for you or who's working in-house for you even um, to produce really high quality material that's going to produce results. That's absolutely right. And this is something Kate and I have talked about before where we're big on process on the Hot Copy podcast and we've sort of said it's okay to push back on clients Mm -hmm. if they can't even get through the brief. Yes. Because if they can't answer those really key questions, then you're not going to be able to write great copy because they don't know what they want. So they won't know if they like it because they don't know what they want to begin with. And you can you can't give them the answers, unfortunately. So, so true. sometimes it's better to push back and say, you're not quite ready, be able to answer these questions and then come on back. And I found that clients sometimes at the end of the briefing process have said, wow, this was so useful. I didn't really appreciate how little I had thought through these answers and you kind of forcing me to do it has been hugely beneficial. Absolutely. And it's a major red flag. Like you said, if, if they're not really sure what they want yet, that's going to make it a lot harder for them to edit the material that you're handing over to them, which in turn makes your job, job much harder too. Yeah, absolutely. So what are, what are the downsides of working with SaaS companies? The downsides, I think it's just a matter of there's a lot to be done. Um, and I, I'm only one person. So mm. I find myself sometimes wanting to say yes to a lot of different opportunities that come my way, but having to be realistic about what I can and can't do and, and what's reasonable for me um, is sometimes a downside for me because I I see all the opportunity and I, and I want to be able to do those things. But I've learned through experience that I have to say no and I have to hand those off to other people and to other teams sometimes, because like I said, these companies have so much going on. They are growing very, very quickly. And so that can be very overwhelming and easy to get sucked into. Yeah, absolutely. And how's the, um, if we just talk money here, how's the payment cycle on SaaS companies? Because when you work with a lot of bigger companies, payment cycles just get longer. Um, But when you work with small businesses, they tend to be um, a lot more responsive to your invoices. So what's that like? Because these are some big companies you've worked with. Yeah. So the bigger the company, the more steps there are in the payment process, I found. (laughs) Most of the time, software as a service companies are pretty good about being flexible with the payment terms that I ask for, which is net zero. It's due upon the final draft. Um, I will say that there are some companies who are really rigid in the net 30 policy and they won't budge from that. So it's often a matter of will I or won't I agree to that? And, you know, I've just found that for me, 30 days is a long time to wait. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> when, the, when the product is delivered and finished, I feel like I should be paid for that. So I have started working into my contract that I have to be paid when the final draft is delivered. End of story. And so that's yeah. another thing that's been hard, but it's been really helpful. And most companies have been good about being able to work with that. That's good. That's because it's a tricky situation. And sometimes we have to be flexible as copywriters, but we have to make that decision. As you say, like, is this, uh, is this a job I'm prepared to be flexible on? And, um, 
putting some processes in place to make sure that it doesn't slip past what you're comfortable with and also being prepared to say no. It's, it's mm-hmm. okay. But, yeah, it's it's when um, I know some, some organisations say, well, we have a 60-day payment policy for all mm-hmm. and there is no flexibility. I'm like, well, I can't really work with that. That's too long. That's too long. That's so long. 60 days is a very long time. Quite outrageous. And, you know, if you've got a – do you get a deposit for your work? So with new clients, I always request a 50% deposit. And then from there, I just bill on a month to month basis, unless it's nice. unless it's a, a retainer client who wants kind of a longer term relationship and knows that right off the bat. But otherwise it starts 50% deposit every time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's, that's what we all do, isn't it gang? That's what we all do. Um, so if someone has some experience in this field, uh, let's start there. How how do you go about pitching? You've talked about Twitter, um, but is that is that your go-to for kind of pitching work to SaaS and e-commerce companies? I think it's always about having a foot in the door through an introduction, through a mutual friend or a contact that you both know, whether that's over email or LinkedIn. I think that's the first step, having, having kind of a warm introduction. That helps a lot. The cold introductions are very, very hard. Um, but then also coming to the table with a few ideas that are really relevant, timely, and that aren't being talked a lot about in other places. So what can you say that's new within the conversation? And that's what I always try to ask myself when I'm thinking about pitches. What are the things that are happening in the news right now? And how can I connect the dots and make a new point that maybe hasn't been written about a million times already on the internet? And so I think that's kind of the the most basic pieces and elements of a really strong pitch is what can you bring to them and help them write about that's unique and that makes a really strong point that's backed up by lots of research and data. And that's really timely also. That's that's relevant and interesting to what people are talking about within that community right now. And that sounds, that's amazing advice for anyone interested in getting into blog writing for any industry mm-hmm. at all, not just SaaS. And I imagine you seem to be extremely good at following up as well, which I really recommend everyone do. I think sometimes when you you approach someone and they say, no, it's just not yet. And and your, anyone's ability to follow up, um, really, I bet you're able to capture a lot of leads that other people might get discouraged too early and just never follow up on. Yes. Having a spreadsheet of people who maybe said not right now or follow up with me in three months, having a spreadsheet so that you don't have to keep all of those file folders in your own brain. That's been a huge help to my business. And like you said, yes, following up has been a huge way for me to get work when things are slow or when I want to keep things coming down the pipeline. A, A simple spreadsheet is a really easy way to do that. And, you know, because getting content written isn't sometimes at the top of anyone's priority list. They're doing their day job. They've got lots of other priorities. These startup companies are swamped in the things they have to do. So that kind of timely follow-up can be, oh, yeah, that is something we need to do. Let's do that now. So just, you know, get out there and follow up everyone on all kinds of work. Um, Any final tips for our listeners who might who might think actually not only blog writing, but, but SaaS and e-commerce, this might be something I want to get into. I think there's so much opportunity in this industry right now. I don't think the growth is going to slow down anytime soon. Um, it's, it's a tough industry, but the people are very smart. And most of the people that I've worked with are very nice and very willing to 
not only willing, but they need help. Like you said, they, they have a million things going on. So they need freelance support um, and they need people to outsource projects to so that they can really scale up what they're trying to do with these companies. So um, if it's something you're interested in, look at companies that you'd like to work with and see what they're doing. And then maybe think about what you could bring to the table that's missing right now from the equation or how you could um, write about topics that they aren't covering right now, but maybe should. Um, I think that, I think that it's not impossible to get into. And if you're willing to learn, there's a ton of opportunity. Awesome. That's a great tip. And I will add just to recap on what you've said already is look at how you can start connecting with people. Um, because building relationships is everything. It's really who you know can get you that warm introduction um, and, you know, start start commenting, start liking, start sharing, start becoming really familiar with the content that the companies you want to work with are publishing and, you know, dig deep because that is how you will start making connections and also figuring out where the gaps are that you can jump into. So true. Cool. Well, um. Regular listeners will know this is, we'll finish it there. We'll read out a review of the show. And today I am talking about awesome games in Australia. And awesome games says, I commute a lot in the car and on the train. I've listened listened to many podcasts and this is easily my favourite. Not just because of the learnings and the insights, because it is entertaining. Oh, and it's English Aussie. Nice to get the Aussie POV in place of American perspectives, which aren't always relevant. Well, there you go. Great work, girls. I like the way we can cross the oceans with our accents. Um, So thank you for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Your review helps other people find us, of course, and we give you a shout out on the show. And if we can figure out who you are, we will tag you and your business as well. Of course, you can uh, leave your comments and thoughts on Facebook and Twitter and hotcopypodcast.com. So thank you very much for coming on, Kaylee. I think this has been really, really useful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Until next time, everyone, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. I am a little self-conscious because I am the least cute sounding person on this podcast right now. <laughs> My accent is very unpleasant compared to yours. <laughs> Do you know, I always feel exactly the same way. I always feel I sound very... Australian. So, you know, we can be self-conscious together. (laughs)